0: Hey there, welcome to the Money, Sex, Power podcast. I'm your host, Denitha Doe, the creator of Money and Mimosas. Money, Sex, Power is a provoking and provocative podcast intended to expand the definition of what it means to be a wealthy woman. I invite you to listen in on conversations with women who will challenge you to examine and reexamine your self-limiting beliefs and abusive relationship with money sex and power please note you will be offended you will feel attacked and that's where your journey of being a wealthy woman begins if you're ready to hear the truth do the work and stop avoiding the fullness of your womanhood i invite you to listen to today's episode in this special money sex power episode, I wanted to focus on the power part, particularly how power manifests itself in the political realm. Once this episode goes live, it will be Black History Month within the United States. And we just had a historical election where the first woman, the first woman of color was elected as vice president. Her name is Kamala Harris. I wanted to explore what Kamala Harris's role as vice president means for Black women, if anything, if it means anything in terms of the power we have access to as a collective. To explore this conversation with me, I invited Rita Forte onto the Money, Sex, Power podcast. Rita Forte has been in the political realm for going on nine years now. I briefly worked with Rita when she was the Bay Area Regional Coordinator for the Marion Williamson for President campaign, a little about Rita Forte. She is the founder of the marketing organization, The Olive Street Agency, based in Oakland. She oversees all strategy and operations of offerings, including merchandising, social media management, and video content creation. Prior to launching her agency, she was a DJ on-air personality for ten years most recently in 2018 her agency ran the social media and video efforts for now mayor of east palo alto regional wallace jones and contra Costa county district attorney diana becton in 2019, Rita was the Bay Area Regional Field Coordinator for the Marian Williamson for President campaign. Rita is also a member and part of the leadership teams of national community organizations, BWAPA, Black Women Organized for Political Action, and American Descendants of Slavery. Rita has a BA in psychology from Williams College, Massachusetts. And without further ado, let's welcome Rita onto the Money, Sex, Power podcast. Hey, Rita, welcome to the Money Sex Power Podcast. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. I'm really excited to chat with you today. I have been following your work for a while and was reintroduced to your wisdom and brilliance when we had the opportunity to work together for a short time on the Mary right. Williamson campaign. The blip. <laughs> <laughs> A blip that, yes, hopefully will be longer in the future. Um, maybe, maybe not through Marion Williamson, but someone like her, perhaps you actually Uh-oh. see now, <laughs> now I'm just gonna skip over that keep going. And so I'm not going to skip over that. I'm going to keep that in the back of my head. But um, I want to talk about um, I want to talk through your journey of being a DJ to starting your own marketing agency to now being in the political realm for the last eight, nine years. Before Mm -hmm. we jump into the politics piece, which is where I want to spend a lot of our time. I, I want to talk about truth. And we were talking a little bit about that before I hit record. But I also want to talk to you about it because of one of your videos that you did on your YouTube, hashtag truths only, mm-hmm. that deeply resonated with me. I'm also on that path of being a truth seeker and being a truth teller. And mm-hmm. so I want to start with that. What is truth to Rita, and what is Rita's truth? Absolutely. Um, the hashtag.
1: I, I will start with that because it, it will lead up to what is my truth. Um, so truths only. And thank you for watching that YouTube video. By the way, <laughs> um, I hope to expand on 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 that hashtag and posting other truths only um, type videos, but. Um, just the origin of me even adopting that kind of as a motto for my life. Hashtag truths only. Um, it actually really began when I was a DJ. So over over about ten years ago, I would say like two thousand and nine. Um, I was pretty much winding down my DJ career, um, trying to figure out what I was gonna do next, but also really. Analyzing and reminiscing about my ten years as a DJ, and you know why I was leaving it, why I was moving on, and things like that. Even though I really loved music, and I still do to this day, and I would go back to it at any point if it was the right circumstances and everything like that. Um, but as I was winding down my DJ career, I, I kind of I did I put I made kind of a list, not a pros and cons, but I made a list of you know what went great you know really just kind of yeah analyzing what went great in my 10 years as a DJ and then on the other side what what didn't go so great um during those 10 years and as i analyze really the side of the things that didn't go great cuz you know what you want to do when you move on to the next point of your point in your life Is you want to maybe avoid some of those mistakes or avoid some of those things, right? So you're really trying to get down to okay, what are the things that I could possibly avoid? So I'm really looking deeply at that list of like, what are the things that really didn't go so great, in my opinion? And as I really looked at the list of things, a lot of them came down to the fact that I was either not told the truth, I was not part of a truthful situation. If I had been told the truth, um, things could have gone, you know completely differently in a lot of situations. Um, and so, and it was just one of the things, but it was a major through line in all of those situations, truth, truth, truth. Um, that I decided to really adopt that as moving forward from this point on. I'm going to really try to, as best as I can, even to this day, you know, I'm not, I I don't think anybody's a hundred percent truthful because that would be like being a hundred percent perfect, right? And nobody's a hundred percent perfect per se. But at that point, moving forward, I said, well, look, if truth is the through line of possibly avoiding a lot of these different incidences and mistakes or mishaps or different turns in my events, if I'm in control in some sort of way, I'm going to either have to tell my truth, tell the truth, um, be in the most truthful situations and around the most truthful folks that I can be around. I mean, all of those things. I'm talking about embodying truth. And that's where that hashtag truths only becomes a real motto and a central thing in my life. And um, it's really, I also said this, like I said this before, before we hit record was that, you know, if everything falls away, you know, my DJ career, people don't remember that. If people don't remember my Um, my marketing work, if people don't even remember whatever I am doing in politics, I want them to remember um, that me as a person was synonymous as much as it can be with truth and being truthful. Um, And so that's what it means to me um, to embody truth as a person. Um, Again, it's just to go through go through life in every situation and being able to speak up, um, and being able to know that the truth absolutely does hurt in a lot of situations. The truth absolutely is ugly in a lot of situations, but also those things can be looked at as beautiful. Those things can be looked at as providing clarity. Those things can be looked at as getting closer to your true path. Um, and so that's, I mean, it's what I've found in these past 10 years as having that be the through line of, of what, um, really dictates, dictates my motives, my moves, um, who I work with, who I deal with. Um, you know, I'll make business decisions based on that. Um, in so many ways and you do your best, right. You, you know, again, no one is a hundred percent the best at at doing something like that or, you know, or whatnot. But um, that's what I try to do at at every turn. And like, and like you said, you know, I'm glad that the video resonated with you. Um, You know, truths can be as simple as, Hey, you know, there is no Santa Claus. Why, why are we going for eight years, nine years of a child's life, you know, not telling them the truth. Um, or even if, for example, in a household you're telling them about Santa Claus and about Jesus, you know, even if you're not Christian, whatever, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm just saying, even if you are telling your child about both stories, you know what I mean? What is what is really the point of that of the of telling them the lie though, when the truth is there? And it will provide more clarity for them. Um, and it'll it'll make you know, the parent, you know, I mean, again, down a rabbit hole, but I just feel it will, it will make the parent be more of a trust, fig trustworthy figure to the child. And that's how we're starting them off. In the first eight, nine years, we're already starting them off in this, you know, kind of web of, of, of lies that's what truth means to me in my life. And and I look to, again, put a lot more truths out there as I see them that, you know, and they're gonna be funny, they're gonna be ugly. Um, they might be, you know, deep for some folks. Um, but yeah, I, I hopefully wanna share them about once a month. So I look forward to that.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to following along. And I must say, as someone who does believe in Santa Claus, um, that's fine that you don't. Um, <laughs> if you don't believe in magic,
1: then you'll never find
0: it. That's okay. Uh, but but no, I definitely, everything you just said definitely resonates with me. And it's, it's tough because, and we talked about this before we hit record, and I want to dive deeper into it. What trips me up or gives me angst, makes my cortisol levels rise, is when I know someone's not being truthful to themselves. Mm. I can actually deal with someone lying to me because... I have enough truth within me and enough connection to my intuition to be able to feel that out.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I can understand why someone may lie to protect themselves. If they feel like they'll be judged. I can understand that it's when someone's not truthful to themselves. Mm -hmm. That gives me so much stress and pause and, that's part of the reason why I started this podcast, because I realized that within my part of the reason why I started it was because within my inner circle of friends, um, I realized that my girlfriends weren't being truthful with themselves about wanting more money, wanting power, Mm -hmm. and wanting a great sex life. Like, let's just be honest with that to ourselves and then, you know, do what you will when you talk to someone else, but at least start with that. So how did you start telling the truth to yourself so that you hmm. can walk in your truth and be a hmm. truth teller? Hmm. How did I start telling the truth to myself?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think I think it's been a lifelong kind of pursuit of discovery. I, and I, cause I, I would love more time to think about that, but what comes to mind immediately is when I was in college, um, back in, I'll, yeah, I'll put the date out Well, whatever back in 03, you know, is when I graduated college. And I just remember my sophomore year, some incident happened, and it was just a whole bunch of drama with my friends, and you know, some folks who I thought were my friends really weren't. You know, you know, college stuff, right? But really, what came out of that is, once again, me. I guess I'm realizing that I I do analyze myself a lot. I guess we all do, right?
0: I don't. Th- uh, not to cut you. I'm not sure if many people do. <laughs> True. Facts. Facts.
1: Hundred percent, unless they're hit over the head. Now, now, granted, I was hit over the head in this point. So, but then I was young, you know. But this was my first real hit over the head. Like, what's going on? And so, without getting into the details, what really came out of that is me just analyzing. Wait, why am I at this college again? Why did I choose this direction? Why am I here? And when I really dug deep. I didn't even truthfully want to be there.
0: Interesting.
1: My truth was that I wanted to be at another college. My truth was that I wanted to go into music. My truth was that, uh, you know, the path that I was currently on was not really my path. It was a path that I felt in in a way obligated to do in a way. Yeah. That I had to complete of which I completely adhered to that because literally the next year I decided to take the whole year and go to a whole d- another different college. Mm-hmm. That is the year that I discovered DJ. You know what I mean? So when you have experiences like that, where you realize that you're in a position that really is not who you want to be or who you are as a person and you start to make changes and when you do make those changes, you get validation. Yeah. I'm going to go with truths only. I'm going to stick to my truth. I'm going to stick to what I believe, what, you know, what God given thoughts that I've given, that I've been given about myself instead of, Anyone's. I'm not even going to put any names out there, you know, of of folks that, you know, of course, you know, influenced me or encouraged me to go to that college and things like that. You know, that's relevant. I think at the end of the day, not irrelevant, but for this story. And so, yeah, I think that's that. That's when I first really started telling my truth. That's when I first realized that adhering to my truth is the real path to go.
0: And actually, I I forgot where I forgot what the original question was, but I think you said, how did you start telling the truth to yourself?
1: Right. So there there it is. I
0: think think that was the beginning of it. I also thought,
1: interestingly enough, that that I think I was naive to think that that possibly was the end of it, (laughs) but it is not the end of it. You know how you all you know how you always feel like all right I got it oh my yes. god like I read all these books yes <laughs> um, I'm, spir- I'm spiritually set I get it you know and then like no honey boo boo and then in 5 years you're going you know going through something else or something else pops up and so you know it's just consistently yeah, it is consistently pretty much analyzing myself. Uh, it's funny that I'm, I'm kind of realizing that now, but it is consistently analyzing myself, reevaluating and moving forward and realizing like, you know, being truthful with who I am is, is kind of the path that I need to take. And, and the only path that's going to work, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to mean that I'm not going to run into problems and issues and, and, and things like that, but it gives you a lot of stability, it gives you a lot of stability.
0: I love that. And it makes me think of the quote that I just read. It was oh. when I figured out the meaning of life, they changed it, which to your point about when you think you've got it all figured out, Oh, here's another opportunity to test you. Congratulations. <laughs> and um, yeah, I love that story too, because it, it, yes, it is self-analysis, but it's also taking action once you realize that you were not on the path that was yours, which is not always the case, to give you kudos, because I think for some of us who have consistently made those decisions, we forget that many people don't make those decisions for whatever reason. There are lots of reasons why that could be, Mm -hmm. Um, but but the fact that you took action on it has led you to where you are today. And I wanna fast forward now from DJ to starting your marketing agency to being in the realm of politics, which as a sophomore in college, did that even occur to you that that's where your life would take you? I'll just give this little nugget of
1: foundation. That I kind of do refer back to a lot because I have. Sometimes you have to remind yourself of you know where you were as a child and what some of your interests were. In high school, I was heavily involved in student government. I was president. Uh, you know, I was president of the school um, in my senior year. Um, as sophomore year, I think I was president. As freshman, I was vice president. I was also an athlete. I was also into music then too. You know, I was into a lot of things, but. Hmm. I was definitely into student government in high school. When I went into college, I kind of, I think I consciously actually made the conscious decision to be like, I'm not getting involved with government. I'm not, I don't think I'm interested in that anymore. Um, And so I didn't, I didn't run for anything. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I was heavily into track um, and things like that. And then, like I said, got into DJing towards the end. Fast forward through my DJ career, you know, 10 years went by. The only, I, I think, inkling of politics that I would say in terms of my music career that I that is notable is I would always say, oh, there's too much politics in music. And what I mean by that, for those that don't know, is that you have this industry where it's supposed to be surrounded around music and expression and soul and love and spirituality that's really what music is bringing forth but it comes up against this industry of record labels and dj crews and who's um you know who are you cool with that's the politics that i'm talking about where it's like wow we have all this great music and these great ideas out here but it's coming it's being completely like controlled and manipulated by this structure. And this goes back. This is not just in hip hop. This is talking about music. You know, there's always been politics in music. And so I'll, i I remember even saying in interviews as a DJ, like, yeah, I love the music business, but I hate the politics that are in music. Like I hate trying to be cool with this, you know, program director to try and get this on this radio gig and this and that. You know, like, aren't we just here to, you know, get this great music out and, and, um, and get these messages to the people. And so that's, that's where politics kind of came in with music. Now, as I transferred out of the music industry, um, and being a DJ, um, again, during that analyzation part, um, I realized that I wanted to, um, create a marketing a marketing agency. One of the great things about the music business is it teaches you a lot about marketing. If anything, music is marketing. It's literally sending out a message to the people. It's marketing a message. It's marketing an image. It's you know. So I learned everything from um, you know social media on MySpace to uh, running video. It's just all about marketing. So I was like, let me take those skills and and build a marketing agency. To keep it to keep it brief, there. While I was doing that, I started working directly for a screen printing company um, that prints T-shirts, of which my marketing agency now does as its own entity. But I worked directly for a screen printer at the time. Um, We were printing this shirt and on the shirt, the message said, what's your vision for the future? And, I was just like, oh, I like that. And this is before, you know, it was, it was a shirt with a message. And this is before kind of shirts with messages were popular, you know, before the Black Girl Magic shirt, before the, you know, um, I am me or love is, you know, whatever free or, you know, all of these message shirts that have really become popular over the six, seven years and so I was like, man, I love this. And, it, you know, a lot of other, the other shirts that were coming through just would have the logo of different companies. We're printing the logo of different companies on shirts. But this shirt had this message on. I was like, man, I love this. Um, and so the customer came in to pay for um, the shirt. And we started talking. And she turned out to be the executive director of BWAPA, which is oh, Black, which is Black Women Organized for Political Action. Now remember, I'm kind of coming out of the music industry where I'm like, I hate politics. So I, I think, I think she'll probably say when I first met her, I was like, black women organized for political action. What do you got? You know, po- po- you know, polit- I definitely was like that. I would completely admit that was the space that I was in. But I love the message. And I was like, well, but if this is what you guys are about, this is pretty cool. I love this. So literally that summer, um, the executive director invited me, um, Lenise Jones, she invited me to, um, some leadership courses and classes that, um, Bawapa was having, um, uh, that summer I was able to get like, I guess, a scholarship to go, um, you know, the organization paid for me to go. It was about six weeks long, one Sunday a week. And it was kind of an all-day thing, and they just had different um, leaders in the community, different scholars in the community, mostly all Black women, just coming up and really teaching you about not only Black women, not only politics, but Black women in politics. You know what I mean? Like really connecting the two, really taking you know who I am. Which is what, of course, I connected with first and foremost, politics and what politics is really about in leadership and things like that. and giving examples and talking about, but you know, it's the first time I learned about Shirley Chisholm. Um, you know, and this is back this is back before Shirley Chisholm became popular. once again, like now everybody knows about her, right? But this was this was back in 2011, right? Um, and people didn't really know about, you know, unbought and un- un- unbossed. And I was just getting all of this knowledge. Um, And that's what initially really sparked my interest. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't the politics per se that really grabbed me. It was the message. It was the lessons in leadership. It was the real realizing that Black women did not only belong in this space, are needed in this space, and... You know, it was kind of a lesson on black women that I had never gotten before. You know, I did I when I chose a college, I didn't go to Spelman, um all, all all black women's college. When I chose a college, i didn't I didn't I wasn't, you know, really versed in black history, um, I will say. And this was my this was my time. Um and so that six weeks went by. I've been a part of Bawapa ever since and just been around politics, been around locally um, worked on campaigns. And I guess it, I will say, I don't think there has been a moment where I've said like, yeah, I'm really into politics until maybe the last couple of years, all that time in between for maybe uh, the first six or seven years, I really just kind of thought like, oh yeah, I'm kind of around it. You know, I like being around it, but I, I, I really think it just, it, it caught me and I didn't know it was catching me, but it totally caught me. And so, yeah, fast forward to, you know, the work that I've done in these past couple of years, whether it be working on Marianne Williamson's campaign, whether it be, you know, being the marketing social media for local, you know, mayors here um, in East Palo Alto or city council folks here um, and matching my marketing work with, with these different politicians. Um, and. Yeah, kind of it's it's kind of just everything's flowed into every everything. Uh, for lack of a better <laughs> phrase. So that's kind of that phrase. I love been, flow. Yeah. That's been the journey. Is was that kind of congruent
0: or Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And I love how you connected I want to highlight the connections just in case it was missed, but it was clear to me. The connection between how being in music is about marketing a message And then the message that you saw from Bawapa is what caught your attention. It wasn't politics. And even for someone who is not musically inclined, but I do listen to music and I love artists, it's their message. It's the vibe that catches me. It's not necessarily, it's certainly not the business of it because I'm not in it at all. Um, And so that through line though, and then connecting all of that to your work in marketing, um, that's that's present in all areas of business, but particularly when it's about the message is what grabs the the consumer or the person's attention. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your work with the Marian Williamson campaign. Mm. What was your exact role and and why were you interested in getting involved with Marion Williamson, especially when Kamala Harris, who is a Black Asian woman, was also running at the same time. I would Mm -hmm. love for you to answer both of those questions.
1: Yeah. And I actually think I found out about Kamala running before Marianne. And we'll get to that a little... uh, Well, we'll, hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit. But I will also say that I was super excited at first when I saw Kamala running. Kamala was somebody who... I saw, or I knew came through the BWAPA, Black Women Organized for Political Action organization a few times, and um, in terms of the organization supporting her candidacy for her different um, positions that she ran for here in the Bay Area. Um, So there was some excitement there when when she announced. And Marianne Williamson actually had announced I don't know, they announced similarly around the same time, but I think I found out about Kamala first. But as soon as I found out about Marianne Williamson, I was immediately excited. I was like, yes, that makes so much sense. It was something that I had been thinking about for a really long time. Again, going back to this transition, I God, I really keep going back to this transition um, from DJ to you know, as I was coming out of it, just analyzing life, analyzing myself. That's when I came across um, a book, a couple of books from Marianne Williamson, um, A Return to Love, um, A Woman's Worth. You know, I'm talking about some legit, you know, life changing work, some life changing books for me same
0: same return to love changed my life forever
1: period so from then on you know uh shoot i was a follower of her her work i was a follower and you know anytime she would come on oprah or or, you know something like super soul sunday you know that's why i always say happy super soul sunday uh because i love those types of conversations but um Whenever she would come on, I I would try to really listen. You know, I mean, now we're in the virtual world where you could probably hop onto a virtual listening of Marianne Williams Williamson once a month, but it wasn't like that, you know, 10 years ago. She wasn't so accessible. But so anytime she would come across my path, I would definitely listen. And I just remember thinking about like, man, it would be so cool if like kind of a spiritually grounded person spiritually conscious person was in a position of leadership. Um, And I didn't say president, you know, at the time when I thought about that, but I definitely gave that a lot of thought, you know, years ago. Um, because that's what I felt like we needed as a country. I was like, you know, we really need someone with some with a spiritual moral grounding, because that's we we need to start from there. So again, um, when she announced in 20, was it 2018? No. Yeah. 2019 January. Um, and I got wind of it again. I was super excited because again, I had thought about it. She had such an effect on my life. I said, yes, that makes sense. Let's see. I would listen to her initial speeches. And I was like, yes. And then she really started talking about the issues in a different way. She wasn't so surfaced with the issues. She wanted to go to the root of all of the issues and kind of just root out, root out the issues from the root, right? And that's what I had really been seeing in my experience with Boop, you know, just being around politics for the last eight years. I was like, I would go to all these different, um, debates, you know, when they would have elections and stuff and, you know, okay, what do you feel about housing? Okay. What do you feel about, um, you know, uh, crime? Okay. What did you, you know, it was real cook. It it, it just became so cookie cutter the way that people and politicians and folks that were running for office would answer these questions. And Marianne Williamson She would have to answer those questions, but the way she did came from just such a moral grounding. It came from such a different place. It came from such a different perspective that I loved it. And I was like, wow, this is great. I'm definitely going to support her. Um, I definitely would love to get involved, uh, of which I did. Um, At first, I started out as being a volunteer, you know, just went on her website, signed up to be a volunteer. I didn't hear back. You know, they get a lot of requests and things like that. But luckily, um, I knew someone that, you know, has was involved kind of with the Obama campaign um, about eight years ago or I guess back in when he originally uh, ran in 2008. She knew someone who was really close to Marianne Williamson and worked with her Peace Alliance organization. And she was like, hey, I know this guy. You know, she works with Marianne. I don't know if she's he's working exactly on the campaign, but I could set up a meeting, set up a meeting. Um, and that's how I originally got connected. Uh, and without getting into, you know, all the de- deets deets. And, you know, a couple months later after really kind of grinding it out, I will say being on the volunteers, on the volunteer staff, um, I got to be elevated to um, the regional coordinator here in the Bay Area um for the campaign um of which working on campaigns let me tell you it's every day you're waking up like okay what are we doing today oh (laughs) Um, interesting (laughs) yeah i mean there's always a plan in the background you know of course the plan is to get her elected right but you know hey yesterday she just had an interview and now they're talking about how she's anti-vax okay so for today you know what I mean? Or whatever it may be. So today the plan is to make sure we're going out there. We're being in touch with those, you know, folks on the ground that this is the approach that we're taking, or this is what we need tweeted out or, or whatever. So that's what I mean by just kind of like dealing with the nuts and bolts every day can really change every 24 hours and, you, and it's, it's fast paced and, and fast moving. Um, So, yeah, a part of my job here in the Bay Area was to really gather her supporters and as much as I could put them to work, get them to spread the word, get them to organize, um, you know, um, house parties, get them to organize events, get them to help raise money if they wanted to. You know, Marianne Williamson has a huge following in the yoga community. Um so you know some person did a yoga you know uh, fundraiser for her um that I would you know show up at as the regional coordinator and you know talk a little bit about the campaign thank everybody for the support and and just kind of reassure people of what Marianne Williams's um uh, you know issues and six pillars the six pillars of her campaign were um so yeah so that's what I did for Marianne up until I would say a couple months before she dropped out um, she started making cuts and you know that's kind of how it happens if if it if it's looking like the candidate's going to drop out you know they start shaving back on the staff um so i stayed i stayed through i think almost november or december of 2019 um and then she dropped out at the beginning of 2020 january um and yeah it was a great ride i mean i think I, people would always ask me how it was to work on him the campaign. And I personally was just always like, it's hectic, but at the same time, I really feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. You know, as I said, my experience with her, um, and then also my experience leading up to that with just my foundation of working with BWAPA and all of that, I felt I was in the right place at the right time, um, to really, come out and support a candidate wholeheartedly because um, I had never really done that before. I'd always just kind of been like, oh, okay, you know, you're going to pay me to work on your campaign. I'll do, you know, I guess I'll do this marketing for you or whatnot. But, you know, Marion Williamson, I would say is the first um, candidate that I wholeheartedly from the, from my spirit, from my gut that I really um, felt kind of had a lot of the right messaging. There we go back to there we go back to messaging,
0: back to messaging and back to being in truth too. you started our conversation talking about how working on truthful projects, you didn't use the word projects, but working on something that was grounded in truth was something you realized needed to be present when you Mm -hmm. were moving out of the DJ world and I Marianne Williamson's campaign was the first one I volunteered for. She reignited my belief in politics because as you were mentioning, I also sensed surface level conversations. No one's really talking about what's going on. They're not being truthful. They're not lying, but we're not getting to the truth of it. And when I heard her say, and usually it was in the form of questions, uh, she would say, uh, to the healthcare situation, like how do we fix the healthcare system? She would say, "Well, why aren't we asking why everyone is sick?" Hello. And I was like, yes, yeah. why? And I've been asking that question too. And when she talked about the tension, the racial tension within our country, she brought it back to 1619, rather than just talking about what happened a year ago with the last police shooting. No, there's a 400-year history. And um, also, a student of hers, I've read her book, um, The Law of Divine Compensation, talking about the spiritual aspect of reparations, the spiritual exchange in money. Mm-hmm. That had never, I had never heard anyone in politics talk about that before. I talk about it a lot in my circles that are outside of politics, but to see someone who was running for this huge leadership position talk about that it was so refreshing it was like an exhale and Mm. and i remember i signed up to be a volunteer and i went on twitter and your tweet you tweeted something about how you had taken that position as regional director for marianne and i was like what another black woman is also about Marion Williamson's message and like, uh. especially after Kamala Harris had announced her presidency. I felt alone as a black woman because from the beginning, yes, I was excited from a pure optic standpoint that Kamala right. was running. You know, I right. want to, I want to be represented. I think we do need more people that look women that look like us in those positions at the same time. I knew I wasn't connected to her message, her approach to politics, her history. And so when I saw Marianne Williamson, I was like, yes. And then when I saw you also actually a part of her campaign, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is it. This there's some shift happening. And and so I want to talk a little bit about that, how you. Because I I imagine you're very much about supporting Black women, particularly Black women in political positions, in leadership. Right. You want to see that. And yet um, something about Kamala Harris's campaign didn't resonate with you in the same way that Marion Williamson's did. So can you talk a little bit about the contrast between the two and any critiques that you had of Harris's campaign or messaging or approach?
1: yeah. Um, so again, I'll go back when it comes to Kamala, um, you know, again, I was excited for the same reasons you said the optics she's from, you know, born, raised in Oakland, you know, I'm like, I should be to a shoe in as, as a, as a fan and a supporter. Um, but I started to dig deeper, you know, and, and really read about her background and read about how she led in her positions before, you know, as DA, as attorney general here in California. And so I started to kind of come, come along these different stories and listen to other folks. I'm like you, I love interviews, you know, so I'm listening to other political pundits or political shows and different things like that consistently. You know, and the through line, one of the through lines that I, that, that I came across with Kamala was that a lot of her leadership and thoughts just really weren't progressive. A lot of times were regressive. Um, You know, (laughs) I remember when she came on the breakfast club, she talked about marijuana and that, you know, she smoked before. But like literally five years before that, she was not about legalizing, you know, she was not about that. Something else I had read that I remember is she was not initially about um, having cameras on police. She was not backing that legislation of having, you know, cameras on her cops. You know, she she, I think she always refers to, you know, this is, she's the top cop. These are her cops. These are her folks. To where it's like, wait, what? Why wouldn't you want that? You know, why wouldn't you want that? And then later went back on that, right? So that's th- those are two things where it's like, okay, this is how I feel. But then maybe when it gets popular or maybe it gets out there into the open, oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm with it. Yeah, no, I smoked back in the day. Oh no, yeah, no, we need we need um cameras. And that's kind of actually a through line with her in a way. Um, and also with with Biden to where, you know, I, I've used the phrase actually recently, this this kind of Johnny come lately type of, <laughs> you're laughing, why are you laughing? Everybody, she, everybody she's laughing, you can't see her, she's trying to hide it. But, you know, this kind of Johnny come lately type of a feel is what I realized with her. And then you've already said it, one of the biggest issues and things that is close to me, even to, even to this day is reparations. And to this day, Kamala is still not for reparations to this day. And and when I say specifically reparations, I mean, in the form, in many forms, but in the form of money in the hands of black folks, she is not for that. She has never said that. And I feel um, by research that I've read, there's a great book out um, by a few economists called um, From Here to Equality, please check that out, um, which really details how we can pay reparations, how a reparations plan can happen for black folks. And there's no way that it cannot happen without putting money, money directly in the hands of black people. And um, so the fact that, you know, she's not with that, I was like, oh, well, I just, I, I really can't get with that, you know? Um, and I think it's interesting that, uh, first of all, you juxtapose that with Marianne, where, you know, she's been talking about reparations for over 20 years, as she talked about in her book in 1997, The Soul of America, uh, or I think it's Healing the Soul of America. So you juxtapose that with someone who 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 has been talking about it for years with someone who's like no you know I I don't believe in this and that's and that's how Kamala really came off to me and it was tough because remember at this point I've been a part of Bowapa black women I've been a part of this organization that arguably uh, and it's not even about treading lightly here. I've been a part of this organization that is at the forefront about putting black women in position. Number one thing, you know what I mean? Yes, yes, they have to have, you know some experience. Yes, they have to have the political aptitude. Yes, those things, but I but the the organization exists almost wholly and solely to put black women, black faces that are women in a, have a seat at the table. That's, that's why it exists. So I, I, you know, I've been a part of this organization. I've been indoctrinated with it. I've, I've been behind that theory and I've been behind that thought for all of this time. And I'm realizing that if we really want change and we really want to um, progress as a nation, we're gonna have to look beyond that. We're gonna have to look beyond being black. and we're gonna have to look beyond being a woman. We're gonna have to look beyond these optics. Um, and so it it was tough, but it wasn't. You know, I think my experience with Marianne that I had previously, helped me you know sway over in that direction now had i not read a return to love 10 years ago and had that had an effect on me i may have not been so hard pressed you know what i mean because when someone when something really has an effect on your life or something like that you know that's it, it can really sway you so i think there was there was that there um and her policies and her belief that marianne had that really swayed me in that direction and um, it wasn't too hard because of that. It wasn't too hard for me to, to go in that direction and support her, even though, like I said, I had been in this arena with, with, with BWAPA for, for a long time. But, um, you know, we mature, we, we grow in our interests and in our, and in, in where we want, we want the world to go, where we want the nation to go. So, um, so Yeah that's where that, that you know, that's kind of my thoughts around Kamala. Um, you know, I, I wish I wish them the best because, you know, she is vice president with, with, with Biden, but I think Biden also shares that same, um, characteristic of Johnny come lately. Um, I remember when I heard him say, I think it was on his campaign trail on a speech. He said, look, and it was after George Floyd and it was after these things had happened last year and he said look black lives matter okay and i'm i just i i I was just almost like wow it took you <laughs> i don't know how many years to say that cuz i know he wasn't saying that le- even up to last year you know what i'm saying so this johnny come lately thing are we really going to get progressive policies are we really going to get um forward thinking are we really going to get sweeping like life changing things no i don't think so
0: you know and what's your now that we're here with yeah. the paris administration mm-hmm. what's your hope i i'm curious to you know what what do you what are you wishing for that comes out of this administration I think that
1: Trump's administ- Trump's administration was kind of the beginning of the end of the of the Republican Party as we know it. And I think that in the same way the Biden Harris administration these next four years might be the end of the Democratic um, party as we know it um that's prophetic i just think we've grown past how politics used to be and it's time to make some real changes it's time to look past the optics it's time to deal with our truths as a nation um it's it's just past time um and so, what I hope for the Biden Harris administration is that it wakes Black people up. Hmm. I, I'm not, I, I, you know, my answer to that is not hoping for, oh, I hope that they do this policy and that policy. No, I just told you. I just told you they're not progressive in that way. So, I'm not expecting that. If they do it, oh, great, you know, great. Don't get me wrong you know, some things have already happened in these first couple days, you know, student loan type stuff, but I'm not expecting, you know, some great shifts, some great changes. I think a lot of this administration is going to be a lot about the coronavirus and working, working those kinks out, uh, which is, that's the time we're in. That's a hugely important thing. Absolutely. But I think Hopefully ultimately that it will expose to black people and wake black people up that we need policy, not optics. We need policy, you know, not something like, yes, it's great that Harriet Tubman may be on a $20 bill, but it would be great if you gave them $20 bills to black people as a form of reparations. You know, is that gonna happen too? Like, you know, and it's and it's hard to say that you know why I mean? well just because we don't have any black people on any bills and we built this country oh, so I see you know what I saying. mean it's, I it's see hard because at the same time we do need to be fighting for those things
0: for rep- representation I hear what representation.
1: you're saying yeah we do we need we,
0: both we need both we absolutely do I see what you're saying yes but
1: more we need the actual change right (laughs) and you know what i mean yes so i just hope it i just hope it reveals that you know just like the trump administration completely revealed white privilege for everybody completely revealed i mean look at that insurrection it was like that was like the icing on the cake of Trump's, of
0: Trump's whole four years.
1: It was just like, yep, this is what it was
0: literally all about the whole time. And if any of you want, no one can say that they can't see it now. And if you do say that, we know who you really are by not admitting it.
1: So I hope this uncovers truths like that, you know, for, for black folks, because black people already knew about white privilege for the most part you know, I think there were some things revealed, but we always knew, we've, you know, we've been going through this, you know, um, bringing it to the surface, you know, has been great and eye-opening for everybody else. Um, but, you know, Black folks have always always known that. Now it's it's Black folks' turn who have always been um, super loyal to the Democratic Party, Party who is now in power. It's now our turn to realize what the Democratic Party has always been about, too. And so I hope it reveals that Um, I I, yeah, I personally do not have any sweeping and great expectations for these next four years. You know, we'll see. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk again and something will happen. Um, But reparations is definitely at the top of my list. Um, I'm part of a group that advocates for that day in and day out here in the Bay Area. So and can you um, say the name of the group? Yeah, the name of the group is uh, um, ADOS, A-D-O-S, which stands for American Descendants of Slavery. Um, I'm part of the Bay Area chapter and I can't say it, I'm unofficially, officially the newly elected president of the chapter. Congratulations.
0: This is exciting. Thank you. Well, I was getting chills as you were saying that you didn't have sweeping expectations for this administration. Rather, you hope that it wakes people up, particularly Black folks up, reveals certain truths, which is a painful process. It's a whether it's going through it in your personal life or in this larger arena of politics, it is painful to sometimes see, to have the veils ripped from your eyes. Yeah, And uh, I got chills as you were saying that. And now I'm getting more chills because newly elected presidents, as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, we need a spiritually grounded Rita to run <laughs> for office
1: it's been thrown around, um, not by me, but, you know, but it's been, you know, folks have just how you're saying it in the same way. Um, I personally don't have any ambition. I'm going to be completely real of which had you talked to me, you know, back in high school or something like that, you know, I was ready. I already knew before I even went to high school, I was like, oh, I'm definitely running for president when I get to senior." year. You know what I mean? And yes, I'm, t- I'm, d- I'm talking about a long time ago, but I'm just saying, I think there's a whole different level of understanding that I have now of running for political office and being a servant to the people that if that's where I'm supposed to be Not anyone is going to influence me to do that. I'm telling you right now, God is going to have to come down. God is going to have to sit right next to me and really tell me that, no, Rita, this is where where you need to be. And this is where I need you. And this is-
0: Only all politicians would wait for God to come down and sit next to them. I'm just saying, like, that is what I would want a politician to say and to live by that. Yeah guiding truth, that guiding principle? Yeah,
1: I I definitely think I, I would love to be involved in a in a campaign, another campaign of a presidential candidate, for sure. I think I do well in those positions, you know, um, I do well in strategy, I do well in, um, I feel like advice and, and um, organizing, I, I can definitely say that I can step into those positions, which is why, you know, being a part of ADOS chapter here in the Bay area, you know, that's, a, it's an organizing thing for me. Um, it's getting awareness out for me, which is all a part of marketing. You know what I mean? It it has gone with what I've already done. So, you know, again, I'll, I'll stay in those, in those lanes that I, I feel like, yeah, this, this sounds like me for right now. If political office sounds like me in the future, then I will be running in the future. But right now, yeah, no, no ambitions to do so. No ambitions to do so.
0: <laughs> I love to hear the truth. But thank love- you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And yeah, you don't yeah, thank me. That's fine. But I love that's what I love to hear when people are true to themselves, know themselves and know their lane. If we yeah. all operated by that, this world would be amazing. Yeah. If everyone operated by that guiding principle. So I thank you for staying true to that and Absolutely. honoring that. Um, yeah, thank you so much for this conversation, Rita. I really appreciate your time, your wisdom, your brilliance. I I think I want to end on, um, before I ask where can folks follow you and learn more about your work, mm-hmm. what has being involved in politics taught you about inner power taught you about remaining connected to your truth what have you learned from politics when it comes to that i think the the biggest thing that i find that politics does
1: for me in terms of inner power is becoming more of who i am and becoming closer to the truth of who i am because for me i don't know about for others but politics Keeps me honest. Organizing keeps me honest. It keeps me telling the truth day in and day out. It keeps me learning and searching. And these are all things that really attribute to my power because power is a lot about confidence and going out into the world and feeling confident in who you are. You know, at least that's how I see it being involved in politics, you know, being around it all of the time, uh, dealing with different personalities, organizing, all of that really keeps me true and honest. Um, And yeah, and keeps me, and and keeps me, you know, feeling confident about myself and who I am, uh, which does create that inner power. I think another thing that, again, going back to when i did first start you know getting into politics with malapa and learning about black women and learning about my black history and learning about the truth and the and the real i mean <laughs> you know that creates so much inner power and and peace and knowing who you are because without knowing who you are you know and going out into this world you know, you can really trip up out there in, in so many ways. Um, and so that's 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 what politics gives me. It keeps me honest. It keeps me truthful. It keeps me learning about who I am because that's all that people bring to politics anyways, who they are. you know when 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 you see, who Marianne Williamson is, you know, she brought who she was, you know, she's a spiritual teacher. She's, you know, and she brought that into politics and that's how she approached politics. Um, you know, you, you think about, you know, <laughs> juxtaposing with Trump again, you know, he brought who he was into politics, you know what I mean? Completely. Um, and so that's completely what it's all about. And, and that's what really creates my inner power is knowing who I am as a person. Um, and bringing that to politics is is I mean that's that's kind of more than half the battle of being involved in it is bringing yourself to it. So,
0: mm. well, thank you for doing the work that you've done to get closer to who you truly are, and thank then you. bringing that into this realm that has an impact on everyone's life. So, Absolutely. thank you for
1: that. Can- thank you so much for having me. By the way,
0: oh, I really you're welcome. Enjoyed
1: this. I know, I know the podcast is called Money, Sex, and Power. Money, Sex, Power, yes. Money, Sex, Power, okay.
0: We didn't talk about sex. <laughs> I mean, we can.
1: <laughs> next what? time, next time.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, follow up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, how can folks find out more about your work, Rita, and connect with you? Absolutely.
1: Please find me um, on all platforms uh, at Rita Forte, R-I-T-A-F-O-R-T-E. Twitter, Instagram, I've been taking a little social media hiatus this month, which has been great. You know, you got to do it every now and then, but I I will be back in full force um, or just normally how I post um, starting in February, but please do follow me there. Also my website for my business is theolivestreetagency.com. So if you want to check out any of my marketing work there, Um, as well as on Instagram, uh, check me out there. And then uh, it'll be great to connect. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are a white woman listening, you are welcome to compensate me for my labor by sending a payment directly to my Venmo, which is at Danitha Doe. that's D-A-N-E-T-H-A-D-O-E, and or by joining Moneymakers, which is the paid membership program for Money and Mimosas readers. You can learn about Moneymakers over at moneyandmimosas.com. Be sure to stay tuned for future episodes. They drop every new and full moon. Until next time.